Zartan changes color in bright sunlight. Zartan! Where's Zartan? I don't know any Zartan. We're gonna talk about comics from Devil's Jew. It's something you wanted if Talking Joe would ever do. I guess we'll explain it all to you. Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read. Oh, oh. Hey, 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 good looking. What you got cooking? How's about cooking something up for me? What's that got to do with Talking Joe? Nothing. It's me, Mark. Welcome to Talking Joe, the best and longest running dedicated G.I. Joe comics podcast. If you are new to the show, you can find out all of the details at the website. The website is talkingjoe.co.uk. Today, we are continuing our look at the disavowed era of G.I. Joe with Issue 31 and 32, Players and Pawns, Part 4 and 5 of 5. And this was published back in 2004. These issues also contain the start of a backup story, Wraith, but we will leave that till next time. So without any further ado, let me introduce my co-hosts. First up, we have a real American Tim. It's Tim Finn. Hello, Mark, and hello, listeners. Hello, Tim! I could hear them. And next up, it's G.I.J. Jay Cordray. Howdy, Joe fans. Hi, Mark. Hi, Tim. How's everybody doing today? Very, very, very good. Are we excited? Excited to talk, Joe. Um, I noticed that in previous episodes, when when we've had a little bit of a delay between the recording and releasing them, that some of some of the kind of the touchstones of what is new and exciting at the point of recording is um, a little bit out of date by the time the episode actually hits. So, so let's just put in some um, uh, context for what we think will be exciting uh, by the time this episode actually comes out. Um, My Christmas uh, was great. Uh, I got <laughs> everything I wanted, and uh, for New Year's, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the ball drop on TV. Okay, well, that's New Year's twenty three or twenty four. <laughs> I just got my pre orders for Tomax and Zamot and uh, Stalker, which I'm still disappointed that he's great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so really excited, loving those figures, and uh, hope everybody's had a good last couple of years. <laughs> uh, Real American Hero issue three hundred, the Larry Hama finale. Oh, what an exciting purchase this week at my store. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and who would have guessed that uh, that what is the most outlandish publisher that could have possibly picked up the G.I. Joe license? Um, who is it uh, that publishes all of those sexy fairy tale books? Xenoscope. Xenoscope. Yeah, yeah. Who would have who would have guessed that Xenoscope got the G.I. Joe license? And Did they? now <laughs> everyone is sexy. Um, so. So that's exciting. But, it's exciting but not, left turn. Not not the craziest thing since uh, uh, Nitho Diaz worked for Xenoscope before yeah, he indeed. worked for IDW on GI Joe. I think John Royal does some of the covers as well. And uh, and in other news, isn't it crazy that they've they've pushed out so many of the classified figures now that uh, they've now solicited uh, the Ice Cream Soldier as uh, part <laughs> of their next wave. That's, uh, that's the one that everyone wanted in six inch. I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, the heavily rumored and confusing um, Python Patrol ice cream soldier uh, <laughs> Target exclusive uh, repaint. That'd just be like all black. 
<laughs> complete opposite of, of Python Patrol and Ice Cream Soldier. Like, I, it's so cool that we're getting a, a Kamakura figure, even though I still really don't care for that figure. Wait, that's an actual thing as well. Yeah, we're, are we yeah. joking anymore? Okay. Now we're talking about an actual mad thing. That was an actual thing that happened. We got that figure months ago. <laughs> <laughs> but just oh, the idea well, that they're moving well. outside of A-Ra is cool. Did we see a picture of that? Did that did that go on uh, screen? Like a digital render. Wow, I, I blotted that out of my memory. It's like... Mad, it was pretty mad. plain. It was easy to do. Yeah, it was just like, you know, it's just Kamakura's outfit, which is like, what, green or something. Yeah, it is It is really cool that the sort of we're getting the fan service in terms of, you know, covering all of the bases, all, all of those key core characters and, and sort of um, skewing quite close to like the classic renditions. But at the same time, it is it is sort of quite exciting to get those left of you know left field kind of choices coming coming out the ones that that you wouldn't expect all the turret touches and flourishes that that are sort of just a step away and sort of building something new and not just uh, uh not just you know giving us exactly what we uh we we loved 40 years ago but bigger <laughs> <laughs> well yeah I'm, I'm loving it love them i haven't got any uh I got my second Sergeant Slaughter in the Valiverse one. Um, second, what? What are you doing with the second one? Well, this is the one without a vest, and he <laughs> looks a, a little less like the first one. The first version I thought just kind of looked frumpy. It was like a, a Grandpa Slaughter, you know. Mm-hmm. He was like he should be on a rocking chair on a porch. But this oh, one, Grandpa Slaughter. Yeah, you know, it would be Clint Eastwood would play him in the movie. I got one more go around. No, you really don't. Uh, but this one has uh, got the tank top on and just looks a lot cooler. Okay. Yeah. There you go. What are we talking about today? It is issue 31 and 32, Players and Pawns, part four and five. So the uh, last bit of this uh, particular arc. Story, Brandon Jawa. Brandon, Brandon Jawa. Pencils, Tim Seeley. Backgrounds, interesting. Jason Millett, inks, Corey Hampshire, colors, Brett R. Smith, letters, Dreamer Designs, editor, Mark Powers, graphic design, Mike Norton, production assistant, Sean Dove, and military consultation, Andrew Swenson. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. issues only had one cover for these two issues we are back to two covers each and a and a third convention exclusive actually for 31 there was a cover c convention exclusive where uh, artist tim seeley uh, from gi joe collectors club it's a an image of zartan with a sort of laughing um maybe japanese inspired mask hmm. all right so uh cool uh so the cover for issue 31A has a red background and has Flint and Duke in close-up uh, engaging in fisticuffs. Flint has grabbed a healthy uh, <laughs> drapery of Duke's shirt, and they've each got a cocked fist. And uh, Flint's eyes are closed. They've both got gritted teeth. Uh, it's okay. I appreciate the occasional Joe cover that A has no background but just a solid color or almost a solid color. This has a little bit of a gradient, gets a little darker up top. This cover 
slightly uh, looks back to issue 67 of the original Marvel run from 1988, which was the Ron Wagner image of uh, Lady J punching Flint. And it's got a red background, but this sort of vignette circle, which looks sort of partly like a like a a, uh, we're looking through a a scope uh, or a keyhole and partly just like a, a colored decision to emphasize something. Anyway, back to the Devil's Due cover. Um, so this this slightly and, looks back. and also and also potentially issue seventy seven as well, which oh, is yes. the La- Lady Z- Lady J versus Zorana catfight cover. Uh, yes, yes, uh, uh, yeah. This is in terms of composition more like seventy seven and less like sixty seven. I also like the sort of the challenge of the occasional GI Joe cover where there are no weapons. Because as much as I want every cover to be a Mike Zek drawing of two to five Joes like lunging left to right with their mouths open and one fist in the air and a machine gun <laughs> firing that like signature Mike Zek like yellow like muzzle flash with red streaking out of it. Uh, I you know I think I think of that line sometimes from GI Joe the movie the animated movie where uh, Falcon sort of goads uh, slaughters marauders into infiltrating Cobra Island without weapons, which is a great plot point, but also a way to like make that scene less quote violent unquote. Uh, anyway, and then there's a there's a little uh, insert vignette on the bottom of 31A's cover, uh, and it says also this issue. Uh, and there's uh, a little excerpt of the cover B where you see the um, talent Caldwell drawing of uh, this new character, Wraith, from the backup. Um, so uh, 31A, you know, uh, it's it certainly would pop on a on a shelf, like at a comic book store. I don't know that it would like get me to buy the issue if I wasn't a G.I. Joe fan. 31B. I'll, I'll talk more about Talent Caldwell uh, in the episode where we cover this this Wraith backup story. Um, but uh, 31B has uh, this new character, Wraith, standing front and center, hands, uh, palms out, and behind him or it are um, Scrap Iron with his visor up uh, and Major Blood holding his pistol, but his pistol sort of gets lost behind uh, Wraith's hand and... Uh, this is a sexy cover. This is a considering that no one is running or lunging or firing their weapon or their mouth is open in a snarl. This is a hot cover because it's drawn by a quote unquote hot artist. Like like bringing talent Caldwell to this comic book briefly brought a little heat to it. But uh, where this cover doesn't work for me is there's this really dramatic overhead light on Wraith, which looks great, and Peter Stigerwald and Christina Strain are are the colorists on this cover. Stiggerwald colors sort of everything at Aspen and is known in my mind as the reason why anyone likes Michael Turner's art because Michael Turner to me does like 35% of the work for all of his like very exciting covers in that like Batman Superman run he did. And then Peter Stiggerwald comes along and like totally finishes it with his colors. And then Christina Strain, who is also credited as colorist on this cover, was a Marvel colorist for a while. She colored World War Hulk and then became a writer and stopped coloring comics. And she's great. But the highlight on Scrap Iron's helmet is as bright and contrasty as all the highlights on Wraith. And so um, that sort of competing 
and then Major Blood's um, uh, robot arm or metal forearm and and hand are at the same angle as Wraith's arm and are like equally shiny and busy. And so the the color in this cover is somewhat fighting itself. Uh, for 32, the cover for 32A uh, is Cobra Commander in his hooded outfit, black with a red cape and sort of cloak. And he's in some kind of prison because there's the signature like one, two, three, four slash scratches on the wall behind him and he's looking up at us and he's got his fists forward and he's uh, he's handcuffed and there's uh sort of a uh, he's casting a shadow behind him there's no copy there's no type and uh this cover does not indicate that there is a backup story and uh it's a good drawing it's you know it's overcolored because it's 2003 2004 there's too many highlights on cover commander uh the cover for 32 B uh, is sort of the, the it's, it is another talent Caldwell cover colored by Peter Stegerwald and Christina Strain. And it's uh, we're looking slightly up at Wraith sort of from waist height. Uh, his face is turned away from us. And I think he's starting to disappear. I think I sort of remember that's what his power is. And uh, I think he's starting to disappear because uh, sort of in the bottom right corner where his where his six pack would become his waist. There aren't any black ink lines and there's a, a squiggly photoshoppy color pattern thing. So I, I think this guy can like turn on his stealth mode. Uh, and the, and the copy says the story of Wraith continues. They've got, they've got four credits for, for the, for that Wraith cover. Um, Talent Caldwell, Jason Gorda, Peter Stiggerwald and Christina Strange. Pen- penciler, Un- unusual. Colorist. Colorist, two colorists. Um, I think either they're crediting. I think. I think my guess is Christina Strain flatted the colors, and then Stickerwald okay. did all the rendering. Or uh, he started it, ran out of time, she finished it, or he did most of it, and then maybe she did some of the effects. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, this, this is a this is a slightly compelling cover in that this is a character that we. Uh, don't know much about. I, by the time you're reading 32, presumably you've read the backup in 31, right? For this episode, we haven't. But um, uh, nothing's happening in this cover. So this this feels very much like all of the Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men covers from 2000, 2001, 2002, where it's just like yet another drawing of Spider-Man swinging or on a building or like standing there dramatically. So I I like the pose, but... You know, this this cover does not ask a question, so I'm not compelled to pick up the comic book to discover the answer. And I, and issue the issue 32 with Cobra Commander in handcuffs. It's it's quite bold. It's quite exciting uh, cover. I guess it asks the questions. How did Cobra Commander get in handcuffs? But um, is it? Do you think it's a bit spoilery potentially? Do you think? Does it give too much away? You know, I thought about that um, because it the. Um... Is there, is it the, is it the back? No. Yeah. It's the back cover to issue 31. And uh, although there, there's copy, it says captured across it in a slightly distressed military stencil font. Um, well, there's your spoiler then. I mean, if they've well, already put it out. So I think I, I, if I was to put myself, if I was reading this issue as it happened, I wouldn't believe that. I would <laughs> I would think well that's a fake out because covers mm-hmm. tend to be exaggerations they never they never capture Cobra Commander, 
Mm-hmm. So, um, is it a spoiler? Yes. Does it does it act as a spoiler? I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think that yeah, as you say, that fake out just because it's got it on the cover does does that yeah? What does that actually mean? Like you know what? If if this was issue, if this was a a whole number anniversary issue, fifty or a hundred or something, and if there was a little more copy and the drawing was slightly different, you know, if like there's two Joes behind him with weapons drawn and it's like at last cobra commander captured i'd believe that but also i would buy that i'd buy the hell out of that comic Um, that sounds awesome yeah whereas you know issue issue 32 it's like well they're obviously not going to actually capture him it's just issue 32 they're going to save that you know it's not like anyone's going to die in this issue Okay. Just a random issue to capture Cobra Commander in. Yeah, this is part five of uh, pl- pl- Players in Chess, or whatever the story is called. You know, Joe was, Joe was uh, still laying some groundwork. Okay, so let's find out what actually does happen uh, in the events of these two issues with a plot breakdown. Somewhere in the unfriendly skies, a bandaged Frankenstein's monster-looking guy gets loose and kills a cobra viper before an evil goatee doctor tells his evil female assistant to cut off the man's right arm. Evil female assistant smiles and the man is subdued by a trio of vipers. The man begs them to stop and swears he will kill them for what they have done. Meanwhile in Batikstan, Dusty, Flint, Scarlet, and Snake Eyes arrive to assist Claymore with the coil operation. At G.I. Joe headquarters, Duke is questioned about the Sierra Gorda mission by Flint, Hawk, Ripcord, and Ricondo. Hawk is angry that another Joe has run an operation without his authorization. Flint wants Duke kicked out of the Joe team. Duke tries to fight Flint. Hawk says the two men are behaving like children and tells Duke to get out of his sight. Just outside of Hayes, Kansas, a team of Joes including Lady J, Shockwave, Widescope, and Law and & Order are holding Destro until his trial. On Cobra Island, Zartan tells Cobra Commander that he is leaving and taking the Dreadnoughts with him. And Cobra Commander says, anyone else want to leave? Now's your chance. The Baroness asks him if that's wise, and he tells her that soon it won't matter. In Batikstan, the Joes run into a group of Cobras, Overkill among them, and a fight ensues. With Covergirl and Crosshair providing cover, Hawk, Roadblock, Flint, and Lady J move Destro to Washington to await his transfer to the United Nations. However, once behind closed doors at the UN, Destro tells the representatives from 12 UN member states that his company sells arms to 10 of the 12 and has a sale pending with the 11th. Destro proposes a deal. Cobra Commander for his freedom. In the Florida Everglades, Everglades, Zartan is greeted home by an unexpected guest, Dr. Mindbender. Mindbender tells Zartan that both Cobra Commander and Destro are seeking the same treasure, but only he's had the map all along. The what? Back in Bedek San, Overkill is about to crush Claymore's head, but Scarlet intervenes, shooting the cyborg in the back. Snake Eyes ineffectively attacks the monster, and Scarlet shoots him in the back for a second time. Overkill tells Snake Eyes that he was the Saw Viper who killed his friends in Trucial Abysmia and begs Snake Eyes to kill him. Snake Eyes refuses, but when he stands up, only to find the surrounding Crimson Twins and a handful of Cobra soldiers. Back in the Everglades, Dr. Mindbender tries blackmailing Zartan with the knowledge of his brother's betrayal of Cobra, but soon finds out Zartan is not a person to be messed with. On Cobra Island, Cobra Commander tells Baroness he's going after Destro. The Baroness is angry and reminds him that he left that decision up to her. Cobra Commander tells her 
he changed his mind and reminds her who's in charge. 77 miles outside of Washington, Duke, Hawk, and a group of Joes escort Destro north by train when, as Destro expected, they were attacked by Cobra. Duke apologizes to Hawk. Hawk tells Duke he's a good friend and a good leader. Don't lose that, he says. The Joes and Cobras have a massive battle involving his tanks, a Skyhawk, Trouble Bubbles, Baroness strikes a sexy pose, and Hawk and Cobra Commander get into a fist fight. Back in Badakstan, the Crimson Twins release the Joes and tell them that Coil has been reabsorbed by Cobra. Back on the battlefield, Cobra Commander has gotten the upper hand on Hawk and shoots him in the back. Cobra Commander is then shot himself by none other than the Baroness. Enjoy watching it all slip through your fingers, Commander, she says. I know I will. The Baroness then tells the pilot to return to Cobra Island and signal Destro to meet her there. My husband and I have been apart too long. The end. Thank you, Jay. So these stories are a little shorter because there's a backup. But Mm -hmm. these comics are not any more expensive. Uh, Jirwa puts a lot in. Um, each issue has some scenes that that don't work for me, that feel not like a G.I. Joe comic or not like G.I. Joe characters. And I, I know that I'm fundamentally at odds with some of the decisions that Devil's Do made. Uh, but when I was reading these two issues, I thought, okay, so I when this when this comic originally started, I was excited. I didn't like the first issue. I wrote a letter, got printed in issue three, and... Uh, and I stopped reading it around issue 10. And then I came back just for issue 21. And I've sort of, while we've been going through it, I've been thinking, well, okay, how would I have felt if I'd come back to it? Like, it, you know, 25. And I think I would have dropped it here. There, there's a lot of stuff that I like. I think Joe was making a lot of interesting writer decisions. And Seely, you know, mostly tells a story. And there's this attractive, you know, like... It's like I all in all these faces, I see Al Rio drawing like J. Scott Campbell. I just see like Al Rio's Gen 13 fill in issues. And if you don't know who Al Rio is, he was doing a very good J. Scott Campbell impression in the middle 90s. But, um, you know, I see the same like a lot of like straight up and down poses, body poses with like not interesting, like f- physical acting. And each of these issues had something sort of unclear for me. So, and, and you know, maybe this isn't sort of a, a fair uh, assessment because if I had read these two comics when they came out, I would have read the backup story. So I'd have a little bit more to be intrigued by potentially. Whereas for this episode, I, I did not read the two backup stories. So it's interesting, but I've got some, got some issues with these issues. And that's the name of my podcast. <laughs> are, your, are your issues more to do with... Uh... Oh shoot! With the um, the the story them, themselves, like elements in the story, or just kind of the overall. Uh, like... Some of it, some of it's character, and right. some of it is storytelling. But you know, at a certain point, character becomes story. So, yeah. for example, the scene in uh, thirty one where Flint and Duke sort of come to blows. Duke's ready to like lecture. Um, I thought like that's good writing. I didn't like that for G.I. Joe. No. And uh, this line um, where Flint says on page six, uh, what makes you any different than Cobra? Flint's really angry with with uh, Duke. And I think there is something, you know, in, in re- a real American hero, 
both at Marvel and at IDW. None of the Joes have any permanent beef with each other. And you could argue that makes for a less dynamic team book because uh, they're like always getting along. Uh, and it's sort of like the difference between Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Like, you know, when Gene Roddenberry was in, was in charge or was partly in charge, he had this overall rule, which was that the core characters couldn't have any permanent beefs with each other. And with Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Roddenberry was not involved. And there were like half the characters have serious problems with half of the other characters. And that makes for all these really dramatic character dynamics. So and and this is a way to differentiate Flint because, you know, maybe he's arrogant or maybe he's a jerk or maybe he uh, feels betrayed. And Jirwa is like stuck with uh, Duke having been this spook. And I've just I've just never gelled with it. And then, uh, you know, the bit where um, in issue 32 where Scarlet and I I think, Jay, uh, you also maybe we shouldn't jump ahead to 32, but um, page two where Scarlet hits overkill on the back of the head with the butt of her machine gun. It's like, what? No, that's what the like the like kid who's being babysat in a horror movie does when the like slasher is about to kill the babysitter. It's like, stay away from my babysitter. And then like the slasher like knocks the kid away. Like that's yeah, that's what I want to say. Hey, uh, Brandon, don't forget, I'm pretty sure Garot wire is listed on Scarlet's file card. Could you see if she'd have just come up behind him and been like, all right, man, but I I mean, he's a robot. Snake eyes just kind of got thrown over his shoulder. Yeah, we'll give her that one. I mean, that not 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 hitting him with the butt of the rifle. I see what you're saying. She should have just laid it on full bore. Yeah, she's holding a machine gun. I think she yeah. should use the machine gun. Now you could argue it's like, well, she doesn't want to fire because it's point blank. She might from... hit snake eyes. Yeah, but like, but he's I don't a ninja. Know. Well, also, like, <laughs> and she's and she's kind of a ninja, and she's like she's like the eighth best soldier in the world. So and you know she's like awfully good at pinpointing with her crossbow. crossbow yeah. So um. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then in terms of storytelling, so, so my, you know, my three sort of categories of, of challenges with these two issues, uh, story character, and then number three is storytelling. Okay. So here's two quick examples on page 18 of issue 31. Uh, so the, the, uh, the final story page, we cut back to, uh, where the dreadnoughts HQ is and, Zartan gets home, and in the final three panels, he enters some kind of room. I sort of can't tell. I guess in the first panel, it's it's all the way on the right side indicated that it's like a bunker. So he walks up to the door, and then in the first of these three panels, you see a, a bald Caucasian guy sitting in a seat, and he's mostly in shadow. And then in the second panel, you see some of his costume, and the bottom of his head is in shadow. And then in the third panel, the final panel of this story... Uh, it's revealed to be Mindbender. You see his glasses, his mustache. He's got his fingers up. He's smiling. And in these two panels at the end, he's got this very unusual costume. And I thought, oh, is this like Mindbender version two? His costume like miscolored, like the yellow and purple costume from what was it, 92? Or is he wearing some like new costume that we haven't seen because this is Devil's Do? Or oh, I guess he's wearing a Viper costume because he escaped Cobra Island previously. And I'm going to rely on Mark here to tell me if 
uh, in that scene where Mindbender in a previous issue, like stops a viper. Does he say like, take off your clothes? Um, I, th- I think we, the last we see of him is basically he's being sort of chased down by a back, pack of vipers. Okay. Uh, so after, after he was left behind, after he fell off the back of that. He uh, did shoot a viper, but then okay. he ran into the woods. So. so I'm okay with him wearing a viper costume. Where I have trouble is if you're going to go to the trouble of revealing this character and it's a it's a it's a dramatic surprise and a fun surprise. Like, oh, not only did Mindbender get away, he got to here and he's got something in mind for Zartan and he's smiling. Like, that's great. That's great. But if he's wearing a viper costume because he like killed a viper and took their clothes and that's how he escaped. Why would you make it so hard to figure out what it is that he's wearing? It's like pull the camera back and show me his costume. Like that might require him to be standing up or that might require a different dialogue where he's like, I barely escaped Cobra Island and look what it got me. This pair of new duds. Like, <laughs> like maybe, or maybe half that dialogue if that's a little bit too much. Um, I mean, we do see it. We do see the costume a little bit in more detail. It's sort of in beyond, the next that, issue. In the next issue. Yeah. Right. But, it, but, but, I, you know, in theory, I'm reading issue 31 in what is it june it actually came out in june of, of that year uh yeah, yeah. according to the yeah, devil's yeah. due news page so it's like i don't know what he's wearing and so the final panel like leaves me with this question like wait what what is mindbender wearing is he wearing some and th- and then the dialogue um welcome home zartan i hope you don't mind i had to take some nasty steps to gain access to a room it's quite a mess in the kitchen i'm afraid what? What are you talking about? Like, <laughs> I act like, okay, I, I think what he's saying is he hurt a dreadnought in sneaking in. But like, what? Like, this isn't like, this isn't like it's Santa Claus. And he's like, sorry, I broke the chimney on the way in. It's like, oh, right. We all understand how Santa gets into your house. It's like, well, Mindbenders never talked about kitchens. I didn't. It didn't occur to me that this weird dreadnought like military compound has a kitchen. Like, oh, I my guess it has a kitchen. And I appreciate Jurawa writing some dialogue to create a little bit of story for what Mindbender's been doing before he like sat in this chair and like, I don't know, waited for like 10 minutes or like six hours for Zartan to show up so he could dramatically like surprise him. But like that dialogue just sort of it's it's just underwritten enough that uh it's like, wait, am I supposed to, is there, is there, is there a specific dreadnought or dreadnoughts that he harmed? Or did you just like knock over some dishes? And again, this seems, I'm sure this seems like I'm nitpicking, but like on the last page of the story, I'm reading the second to last panel and I sort of get distracted because this doesn't seem to relate. <laughs> wait, has, it has wouldn't Dr. be Mind- exciting if he said, I'm, there's quite a mess in the library, I'm afraid. <laughs> I killed the librarian dreadnought. What? Yeah, have Mindbender, Have you have you killed a dreadnought chef, or have you just made quite a, a you know you've made some pasta and you haven't washed up the pan? <laughs> you didn't clean up after yourself. So okay, <laughs> here's, so here's a question. Here's a question. In this final panel, just to the left of his fingers, there's three little spots of I think blood on. It's like red blood on like red viper vest. Right. So I don't know if that's, I guess, the Viper that he harmed in order to take this costume and then escape 
Cobra Island or if this is whoever the he not cooks blood hurt in the kitchen or it's like ketchup or <laughs> it's, it's sauce, like yeah or it's like dirt and it got it's miscolored and like, clearly I have read too much comics and I care about comics too much if I'm like letting myself get so distracted asking like six questions on the final panel of this comic but um I think of there's this rule in prose short story writing you know like not a novel not a novella but you know a short story where it's you know like 10 pages or like 30 pages and that is like every single detail has to count and nothing should be in the story that doesn't count because you don't want to like distract a reader because it's not a novel and a uh 18 page comic book story is a is a short story and these final couple of panels have all of this like not i wouldn't say unnecessary detail but like detail that i i don't fully see the connection and i and i want to see the connection so it's not like i'm reading this and i'm like how dare you brandon jerwa and then i tear it in half i read it and i'm like huh oh <laughs> i quite like my mindbender turning up in that viper costume because it you i know, thought this he, was a great cliffhanger he was you know ch- chased uh chase you know being chased on cobra island by vipers you know he's clearly sort of taken them out and sort of dressed himself up as a as a viper as part of his escape plan from from cobra island that you know we, we've not necessarily been clued in on the minutiae of how that exactly happened yeah quite a mysterious cliffhanger um, but you just used a key word you said clearly dressed up like a viper is he clearly <laughs> dressed up like a viper or is he dressed up like a viper because you're a crazy joe fan and you can tell a viper Maybe. costume Maybe. from just the shoulders i didn't even think about what he was wearing honestly i was like because i read it and i'm thinking are seeking the same buried treasure but what the hell is he talking about i was just i was so confused by what he was talking about i was like but that's the end you know and i just thought to myself i was like if i was reading this month to month i would have been like I gotta wait forty day or thirty days. I'm like, come on! I would, I'd be on the, I'd be every week going in the drugstore hoping that they released it early, <laughs> to find out what happened next and what the hell Mindbender's talking about. <laughs> and heartbreaker or heart wrencher appearance. I do wonder if Jerwa, um, in writing the main story, had a, a hard time crunching what might have been a 22 page story down into 18 pages for issue 31 because the backup which you know which he also writes but it it is a different story um um yeah the the the, i think the outfit is is more obvious when we see it in the in issue 32 this for this for the second time and i was going to point out as well that the viper uniform is it's the red top viper from which is version 11 from 2003 uh, rather than the slightly more I guess iconic original black version one yeah and we see the this red top viper on page two of this very issue yeah yeah and it's the, it's the viper that they are using so you know so it makes it makes sense from you know continuity consistency point of view i don't think that jerwa had a problem with space because i think if he needed to cut out space he could have cut something out of that um action scene in the desert probably he could have probably taking a page out of there there's a lot like that goes on for five or six pages um it's good it all works pretty well uh like you said we again we could have left out the snake eyes and scarlet part they could have been completely left out of this issue altogether yeah they didn't add real add didn't add anything to it 
Yeah, we we had uh, Tim talked about this a, a bit earlier that we had a lot of fallout from the previous mission again, which seems to be a bit of a theme. Um, yeah, for, that's for what, this uh, that that you have a mission, then they come back. Walk has a go at them. Um, when Tim was you know started talking about having problems with the story, that was that was what I was thinking. That was really my biggest thing, and, and it kind of has been ever since uh, Jirwa introduced this just the the conflict between the joes you know i like i always just kind of view the joes as the most professional the most you know the most they're the grown-ups in the room they're not they're they all have a job do they all they're not gonna uh argue and and bicker with each other and when i was reading uh the last issue where duke does that i guess i didn't catch that that was that his part in that was unauthorized like i was reading it and i just kind of thought that well that was that was part of the mission. But then later I, I went back and I thought, I was like, well, okay, well that explains the scene where they said, Hey, Duke's, uh, we can't get Duke's communicator. And they're like, well, see if we can, you know, raise him or something. Where's he at? And the next time he turns up, he's in Sierra Gordo. Uh, but as I was reading the mission itself, I just kind of thought that was the same. That was all part of the mission. So then when we get to the scene where Hawks chewing him out, I, I was kind of like, I think probably the way that, that you just said, Mark, I'm, I'm like, well, Every mission that they come back on, somebody's getting their ass reamed for it. And it's like, they're just, I, I don't know. I don't like that. I don't, I didn't like the, uh, and I kept thinking to myself before I got to the finale of this, of this story, I was like, okay, so this, uh, this problem between Hawk and Duke is, is what I would consider a B plot. And I was like, I'm really, I'm liking everything in the A plot, but I'm really, really not liking the B plot. And I'm, I was afraid of what was going to happen when the B plot became the A plot. And it did just kind of resolved itself, you know, Mm. between scenes, which I was fine with. But also I was like, if you're just going to do that, if you're just between the, you know, before the battle, they're just going to kiss and make up, then we could have done without all the other stuff. There could have been more, more stuff for the the A story and left all that other stuff out. And there's a, there's a moment in the the story when, when sort of Ripcord who had been on that mission sort of has a, has a bit of a go at Duke as well. And he says, um, he says, you're not Duke anymore. No, there's a, there's a pause there. You're not Duke anymore. You're this man that I don't really trust. And I really don't like that bothers the hell out of a lot of people these days. And it's not just me emphasis uh, in, in, in bold for those, those words. And I've heard, Brandon Joe would talk about this before actually that there was a kind of a subplot that he was progressing that didn't really uh, he wasn't allowed to take any any further but he was I think trying to hint here mm. that there uh, that it might be that Duke isn't actually Duke that he's some sort of imposter Duke and is acting out of out of character and yeah I don't oh, believe okay. that he was allowed to take that uh, sort of germ of an idea any further but uh, I think that's part of what he was trying to be built out in these in these scenes well geez they should have let him that would have explained this stuff it felt like an intervention that scene it mm, was like Duke it did didn't it? and then they're all like hey we need to talk about your cia stuff I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> we don't trust you i'm like what the hell am i reading and actually talking about sort of tempering um, brandon joe's vision here we've got a credited editor um for the first time i believe we've got editor mark powers uh, whose name is appearing for the first time in uh, in these issues as a credited? Um, can I can editor. I jump in? So oh. at, on the back in the back of issue thirty one, the Devils Do news page 
has a picture of him. And there's a tiny article which says, former Marvel editor joins Devil's Due. I thought the name was familiar. Devil's Due just became more powerful, or rather powersful, as former hmm. X-Men editor Mark Powers takes on the role of DD's senior editor. Hmm. Uh, and then they make a mean joke about the animated G.I. Joe the movie. Um, <laughs> so um, this, this would be an interesting question to ask if we get Brandon Jurawa to join us for an episode how writing this comic was different in his first half year versus once there was an editor, you know, was, was he doing the same things, but now instead of Blaylock saying, I'm busy, sure, go ahead. Did Mark Powers say, <laughs> well, I don't know. Let's talk about it. Or, you know, was Mark Powers <laughs> less of a, that's, that's my Mark Powers impression by the way, everyone. Um, or was Mark <laughs> Powers, um, was he, you know, less of a, like a, content editor and more of a like traffic coordinator just like you know, getting all the moving parts you know was in injure was uh estimation was powers did he did he have story strengths was he like knowledgeable with gi joe I, these these are interesting questions i would like to answer mm-hmm. um i want to point out something else in the storytelling that um sort of confused me so um can I talk about one of my yeah. confusions first, yes. maybe Tim, and you return to this? Yeah. So um, part of this fallout was they talk about Dart um, and being in, in sight leave. Um, he says, uh, I think it's Zap talking, Dart is on emergency sight leave. It took three Joes to hold him down while he was having nightmares. When he's awake, his hands just start shaking uncontrollably. It was his first mission with the team. Quite an impression we've made, huh? Which I guess gives some color but but in terms of when we last saw darts he didn't he didn't necessarily seem all that all that shook up it, it did, did the came... mission did the mission go that badly from, from i didn't him? think that it went that badly when, after i read that i i regretted having my sister pick up that dart figure <laughs> i was like oh come on so again I, up, I, I appreciate that jurawa is adding all this color in his dialogue um, like in and of itself, that's an interesting bit of dialogue and that adds a lot of drama to this scene, but it, it doesn't feel like G.I. Joe and it doesn't, does it track with the previous issue? I don't believe so. Not in my opinion anyway. Mark? Not, not for me. There doesn't seem to be an obvious through line as to how Dart was reacting. Yeah. If you get to the G.I. Joe team, you have to have, you have to have considerable battlefield experience, I would think. You know, that's why I always had a problem with the green shirts. They literally acted like people that had never been shot at before. Uh, you know, so so he's got to have some experience. And if if that was the worst thing that he's gone through, then he she shouldn't have gotten on G.I. Joe. I mean, you know, that's I don't think I mean, some people got injured. Nobody died. They lost, but they lose a lot of times. You know, it wasn't it wasn't like a bloodbath. It wasn't like Trucial Abysmia. And they kind they kind of won in the end, actually, didn't they? Because yeah, they got Destro. Duke, Duke came and sort of well, yeah. I mean, they won because of Duke's treachery, hat. which now they're all saying don't do. So here's here here's something in terms of clarity. So um, page one of this issue, it's all inside a lab, all red lights. This experiment, this like Frankenstein's monster is loose, and uh, we're, we don't know who it is. Uh, and it's it's Cobra, right? It's some Cobra, like it's some like beefy man who's been stitched up like Frankenstein's monster. And he's, he's wrapped in bandages 
and uh, and a bunch of guns drawn on him. And on the final panel of page two, uh, some of the bandages come down, and he says, sort of like empty, dead, white eyes. And I can't quite tell if like the lower half of his face and his jaw is it like robot metal or like his skin's been ripped off and it's just like the sort of the pink mus- musculature but it's you know mm-hmm. it's supposed to be cyborgy and grotesque it's like trap jaw looks looks like trap jaw all right so as as a as a critique of um tim seeley's like acting in that final panel on page two in the previous panel um three or four vipers uh with police nightsticks are like holding down this guy we don't know who this is he says i'll kill you for this no more no more of and then in the final panel if you were to cover up the word balloon he just looks fine he just looks sort of calm and there's like a viper sort of like holding him up like he stumbled a little bit and it looks like actually the dialogue would be like oh oh thanks thanks i lost my balance for a moment (laughs) yeah right but (laughs) instead the, the word balloon is gurg and and it, it it's like, did did I miss something? Did they tranquilize him? Or is this not the right drawing for this final panel? Like he should still be like twisting and pushing and clenching his teeth yeah, and his like, teeth or- yeah, like, so I think, I think Seeley doesn't push his acting and his poses enough. I think if he's working from, I can't remember if Joe told him if he's writing plots or full scripts, but I don't think Seeley's doing the best job, like interpreting the plots, or he's misinterpreting uh, some of the script. So I, I got to that. I got to that panel, and I thought, like, okay, that's not quite the drawing for this like story beat. Also, I still don't know who this is. And so then we flash flash ahead: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, eight, eight pages, nine pages, and the some Joes are in the desert. And there's this new Cobra character. And I actually don't know who this is, right? Like, I'm not all familiar with the 2003, 2004 toys. And I I know this is a new toy from 2003, 2004. And I know it's a Cobra. And he's got, like, a machine gun, I think, for an arm. It's a little hard to tell because there's a word balloon in the way. But let's just say he's got a machine gun for an arm. And so this, this like cobra guy with the mask and the white eyes and the machine gun for an arm in the desert at night uh like attacks some joes and i was is it the next he has this like long speech where he says who he is like no one names him do they ever actually say overkill in issue 31 no they don't it's not until issue 32 right yeah the first page of issue 32 where he has this long speech he has one, two, three, four, five word balloons, which isn't a lot for comics, but in a hand-to-hand fight is a lot for comics, right? It's, um, I woke him inside a Cobra Airborne Bionics Lab. Uh, See, so he used to be a regular soldier. Uh, I, I killed a few of your guys back in Trusel Abysmia. Cobra Commander tried to recruit me, yada, yada, coil. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, okay. So going back to issue 31. Oh, the guy in the desert at night with the mask and the white eyes and the machine gun for an arm. That's the guy from page one. Yeah. And like, yes, like I, I'm I'm not I'm not a simple child. I do understand that this guy is that guy. But actually, very little in the story connects this guy with that guy. And Cobra is full of robots and 
Guys and that look like that in the Guys desert. that look like that, whether they're cyborgs or yeah. not, like re- really exciting flamboyant costumes. Like maybe they have robot arms or maybe they just have like silver on their arms that looks robotic. And I really needed like one more bit of dialogue in the first scene. Well, I think that it was supposed to be, I mean, he was he was trying to, to make that a reveal when he does, you know, when he mm. tells Snake Eyes who he is. Uh, I, I don't know whether I had... F- flash forward or whether I just kind of figured out that that's who it was, but it, it didn't seem like it was a surprise at all when I got there. Yeah. But yeah, like on that first, on that, that one large panel that you're talking about where he's standing in the desert, there's a lot of dialogue on that scene. It wouldn't have been any problem for that Viper to say, uh, see, uh, overkill you're coming around, you know? Yes, please. <laughs> like, you know, the, this uh, this gym shooter... Or if he has another name, just, you know, at least use that other name or something. No, to no, 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 call him Overkill. Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief at Marvel in the 80s, had this rule that every every comic, every Marvel comic was someone's first. And so yeah. everyone got named and everyone's powers got announced. And it becomes onerous in a crowded book like X-Men. But it's true. And it can be clunky when in the middle of a mission, everyone's conspicuously name dropping, but it is also helpful. And, you know, you could argue it's like, well, the only people reading issue 31 of GI Joe from devils Two are like definitely paying attention to the toys coming out around the same time, 2003, 2004. True. Yeah. Uh, and, and there, I mean, but that's also, that's also like maybe a small admission of a problem. And going back to page two, the scientist does say, uh, which arm did he choke the guard with? What? Which arm, left or right? Uh, it was his uh, right arm. Then cut it off. It's like, okay, I do see a connection there. They're going to cut off this guy's arm. And then uh, later in the comic, Overkill uh, has, again, it's the, the elbow is covered by a machine gun. So I'm not quite sure if there is supposed to be a hand there holding this. Excuse me. The elbow is covered by a word balloon. So I'm not sure if there's supposed to be a hand holding this machine gun or that really is the elbow and his arm just continues as a machine gun. Um but name this new guy. Name this new guy. Say who he is. Uh, it's not like, don't assume that I'm going to read this all as one story in the in the softcover collection. But, um, you know, um, on, on the other side, um, I don't I don't have a problem with it being maybe a little bit of a, a tiny mystery, which has then resolved the, the subsequent issue. So we've got we got this guy, this sort of guy being, you know, cut up at the beginning of the issue 31 we got this introduction of this new mysterious guy who we may or not may not know is overkill based on how much attention we're paying to the toys that are coming out at this time but at the beginning of the very next issue it is very clear that it pulls them together that that guy that guy who was having his arm cut off and was going a bit wacko is the same guy as that cool new guy in the desert uh and and it's also the same guy that we saw before from uh who who was the, the saw viper who who killed the the joes and we thought was killed by snake eyes well when did we see him last what was his condition when we saw him last like why did cobra do this to him was he was he like terribly badly wounded or he was, was like wound- some kind of yeah it was at the end of the cobra uh, islands battle and he was escaping and he was in a quite a bad way and he was saying didn't he, he did he say something like uh I need power or something like that, or he was sort of slumping down. Give me a second. I'll, I'll grab it and then, then I can be absolutely clear. I'll look and see if this is a figure. Uh, it is. Is it? Jay, yeah. Is it overkill? Uh, yeah, it's overkill. There were, there were 
this is actually the 2003 recolor okay. of the 2003 uh, Overkill. The, uh, this this design came out twice in 2003. The first one's like red, aqua, black. What and year did the it second come out? One, 2003. The, the second one? one is second one is desert colors. Yeah, oh. it's the version three, the spice troops, which is the desert colors that we see in this issue. So the last time we saw him, he was uh, making an escape from Cobra Island with Cobra Commander, um, and he says, uh, "I want power," and then boom, collapses. It looks like he's maybe got some gunshot wounds to his back or something. Yeah, in a in a bad way and perhaps ripe for some medical oh yeah he'd been shot in the back by kamakura in that issue there's a lot of shooting in the backs from the joes um <laughs> he was shot in the back by kamakura uh so so yeah i guess in a in a bad way and potentially yeah maybe they saved him by performing some experimentive surgery on him so um i think it's really fun that when this character shows up in this scene, he's in his. Uh, th- so that year, 2003, Overkill is released twice. The first one, it's like red mask, black and aqua body. And then later that year, there's like a desert version. And it's really fun that it's it's just the desert version that shows up for the first time in the comic because it's a desert scene. That's fun. Mm. Um, I don't want it to see like I, I think my analogy for these two issues is. I'm driving a car and (laughs) there are things are a little loose in the car, you know, like I hear a rattle and like the steering wheel vibrating a little bit because the front tires are out of alignment. And, you know, like maybe the like odometer isn't working and, you know, like the windows and the locks are not power windows or power locks. Like it's a car. It's my car. It's getting me there. It can go fast, but it's like vibrating and, and it needs um, a, a big tune-up. And so I feel like with these two issues, there are many, many uh, small and medium-small things that um, aren't aren't fully effective, are missing the mark a little bit. Like, this is a functioning comic. I'm not, like, angry that I read these two <laughs> comics. But it's, like, not quite G.I. Joe. It's not quite, you know, a together action comic. Um, and... So I want to trade in my car. Um, the other thing that's that's weird for me in this issue is the scene where Destro delivers his, uh, his like makes his address to this um, council of uh, world leaders. So I think the idea for this is great, right? That clearly Destro is going to outsmart Hawk. That you know, from the point of view of Hawk and the Joes, they've got him. They've won. But wait, he gets to a talk, he gets to talk to some assembly like, oh, no, no, this isn't going to go well. So that's great. All right. So you turn the page. There's this circle. There's this big circular table desk thing with all of these world leaders and, and people um, sitting seated around it. Dester's in the center and he's addressing them. And Hawk is sitting on the left with his arms folded like grumpy. And Seely definitely looked at a photo for this because there's uh, lots of great body language with some of these seated politicians like leaning forward or leaning to whisper to other ones. That's really nice. And there's this nice 
three panels that's really one panel divided into three where Destro walks left to right past his lawyer as lawyer shuts this giant book as Destro right at the top of page 17 Destro like reveals his ace in the hole okay so so far I like it so there's this like sort of joker smile Mm -hmm. on Destro at the top of page 17 which is a little too much for me and then also his lawyer is smiling which i find too much and then in the next (laughs) panel hawk has his brow furrowed his eyes closed his teeth clenched and his fist up and he's saying are you people actually hearing this blackmail and i thought you say hawk or hulk (laughs) (laughs) okay when i got to this panel i thought oh man like after you know Five issues of Tim Seeley, to my mind, not drawing enough oomph in these poses. Now he finally looks at how to draw comics the Marvel way. So there's this book published in the 80s based on this uh, like lecture that Stan Lee and John Buscema uh, would give. There's a video of it. I think I think the like shop talk at Marvel came first, and then it was a book, and then it was a video. And there's this two-page example in it um, where... Uh, Busima has drawn a six-panel, one-page continuity of um, J- Jonah Jameson on the phone, like yelling, and then someone crashes through the wall, and then I think Spider-Man shows up, and he draws it, and it's all very well drawn. It's just pencils, uh, no no dialogue, no color, just six silent quote unquote pencil pages, and, uh, excuse me, panels, and then he draws it a second time, and in every panel he like exaggerates the poses more arcs more up angles bigger expression like when jane jonah james jonah jameson is like yelling into the phone the first time he's just like leaning against the desk like talking to the phone and the second time he's like got his fist up in the air and his fingers pointing and he's yelling into the phone and stanley makes the point that in a marvel comic everything is dynamic and and turned up all the way and uh so I made this comment about a lot of these like straight up and down Tim Seeley poses, which I don't find exciting or dynamic. And I see this lawyer next to Destro and he's smiling. And I thought, no, no, no. The, the, the lawyer is like cool and collected. And if he's evil, it's like deliciously subtly <laughs> evil. And I immediately thought of the lawyer from the sort of evil lawyer from the Marvel Netflix shows. He shows up in Daredevil and uh, I think Jessica Jones and Iron Fist. It's the actor is Danny Johnson and the character's name is Benjamin Donovan. And there's there are all these great scenes he has with the Kingpin and he's he's completely imperturbable. He's very smooth. Oh, he's in Luke Cage a lot because he's uh he's he's Mariah Stokes's lawyer. And um and he's he's super smart and he's like two steps ahead and he's like evil lawyer and he doesn't like smile and show his teeth he just like smirks and like says something devastating and walks away and so these three these top two panels on this page where the lawyer's smiling destro's smiling and then hawk is like grimacing just all feel like they're all turned up and down the wrong way and the wrong amount and this is another example of Sort of like, ah, the car that I'm driving is like vibrating. It's like, I need to take this car in for a tune-up. <laughs> but you're right. With with the other stuff, though, there's there's some nice body language. Look at the all the people in the bottom two panels. They're all talking to each other. Um, 
Yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the other ones are just are cranked up way too much. And, and th- again, that goes back to how do what do we think of Destro? I mean, the way that he draws Destro's mask and stuff it just really looks like Destro's got a silver head. You know, like his ear and everything is defined and, and lips are, are completely defined. There's musculature that goes all the way down to his neck. And uh, it just looks weird, especially when you said, you know, he, he's grinning like the Joker. Uh, I don't know. There's there's better ways that it, that it could have been done. <laughs> I've been very I've been very hard on this issue. Mark, are there some things about this issue that 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 work? Is there is there a. Can you? There's something that you can say that can balance my, my my frumpy frowning. <laughs> um, I, well, I don't know. The, this the issue 31 wasn't really particularly my my favorite to be, to be honest. Um, the the it's interesting the the scene that with the um, the judicial council of 12 different nations. Um, I my my issues with that scene were entirely <laughs> entirely different to to yours. I thought yeah the the. The panel with the Joker face, Destro, certainly uh, stands out. But it was more from the case of you've captured a, a dangerous criminal. Uh, what do you do with him? Yeah, you can convene that judicial council from twelve different nations to to try him or or let him go. Um, you know, which is the the thing that always you know not always happens. You know, from the from from the news. Um, <laughs> it was it was that that took me out a little bit. It's like, why? But yeah, when does that ever happen? Um, I had yeah. another. I, I, this is a continuity thing. So this two-page scene with the uh, Judicial Council of Twelve Nations. So there's that big panel on the left page where I already described it. It's a big, circular, long, round desk, and it's almost shaped like a horseshoe. And Hawk is seated at the the gap, right? Okay. On the next page, there's this black guy with uh, a blue shirt and a blue cap. And he says, General Abernathy, this is not your forum. And then he he dismisses Hawk, right? And I feel like he's the person in charge because he's the one person from this council who speaks. And he's the one who dismisses Hawk. And then in the final panel of these two pages, he's the one who says, okay, which feels like he's sort of agreeing for everyone. Mm-hmm. Okay, couple of problems with this. One, I don't feel like Let's let's just basically this is the UN, right? It's not the UN, but it's basically the UN. Like the the president of the UN or the sort of spokesperson for the UN, they don't say okay. You <laughs> know, like after like a war criminal has delivered a sneaky sort of lawyer speech where they're getting out of it, but also giving you something worse that you want, right? You'd say like you'd say uh I declare a 60 minute recess while we dot 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 yeah. mm-hmm. deliberate like that it's one word and this 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 word did not ruin the comic for me but i got to this panel and i thought oh man that's not what that's not what you say you're <laughs> that guy on this council the other thing is where is this guy seated because um it's just like in the ring <laughs> no but look look at look at the previous page right it's yeah all, i look for it He's he's not there. Everyone everyone in the previous page is wearing like a jacket and tie. Yeah, he's he's um, on the bottom left hand side. There's a woman with like a a bindi dot on her forehead, and then there's a guy with a turban. And then on the next page over, he's sat to the right of the guy in the turban. I wait. Th- 
Uh, yeah, but the, Tim means on the first panel with the the U shape, all the people sitting around the U in that drawing look like they're wearing suits yeah, and ties. That, yeah, that's that's the one taken from a photo reference that yeah. is isn't and, consistent okay. with the rest of the. <laughs> so again, let's let's compare the two pages. There are two panels which show Hawk's chair on page uh, sixteen, right on the left side. Hawk is seated in a chair and. Uh, if He's let's say pouty. let's say let's say the circle is a clock and Destro's looking at six o'clock, right? And Destro's lawyer is at um, three o'clock, and Destro's yeah. back is facing twelve, and so nine o'clock is Hawk and the chair and that <laughs> gap. Okay, let's go to the next page. So uh, the chair is the chair is the table is a different size now, but anyway, uh, Destro is. The chair's behind Destro, so Destro's either at like uh, he's either at like uh, eight o'clock, but like wouldn't there be the gap there? Where's that guy with the cap? So, um, Seely lost track of where everyone is seated around this table because this sounds harsh. I don't think he ever knew where everyone was seated around the table, and um, and. You know, this is a complex scene, and I would hope the artist who draws this scene, like, comes up with a little floor plan. It's like, okay, well, this is where Hawk starts. This is where he ends. The guy who's going to speak from the council is seated here. I can establish him here on the first page so that we can cut back to him on the second page. We sort of know where he is. But the continuity yeah. of these two pages uh, doesn't work. And. I hate I hate to be the guy that sort of puts in another kick into this poor into the poor um puppy dog Seely art. Um oh, well, I'm but, waiting for this one. But on on the again on the second page, uh where where the the the, the guy in the hat is talking to, to Hawk at um the panel that starts, General Abernathy, this is not your forum. It looks like that guy is now sort of like up in a gallery or elevated yeah, platform like 10 or something. Feet up and, or something. You know, yeah, like twenty feet up from from Hawk. But the everywhere else, it's kind of established that it's all on one on, yeah, on one like level. One flat, flat mm. room. That's what I was going to say. Spatially, there's there's problems. You know, whether it's whether you want to look at spatially or, or just perspective, but uh, you know, camera angles way off. I w- I looked at that panel too, and I was like, wait a minute, that's uh, not what the room looked like. Okay, let's let's skip let's skip ahead to more exciting bits in the next. I do uh, want to issue. point out. Like, let okay. me let me point out one little tidbit of of uh, of Seely art that i that i loved and i kind of called attention to this in the in the plot breakdown the uh the doctor's assistant on page two she's like he says which arm was it left or right and she's like uh, it was his right arm and he goes through you know uh cut it off no anesthetic look at her smile in that second panel she's an evil evil <laughs> She's like, yeah, we're going to cut that guy's arm off. Like, she enjoys this. And you think, who are these people that work for Cobra? And this doctor himself is like, we're messing this guy up. But he's going to be awesome. But, you know, we're messing him up. But he's enjoying messing him up. And it's like, they are a bunch of sickos. Anyway, that's my little observation. Okay, so flick forward to the next issue. We've got quite an exciting uh, action sequence. The Joes are escorting Destro on the train to um, to his destination. And then there's an ambush uh, from a Cobra armored column and the Joes fight back. There's a scrap between Hawk and uh, Cobra commander, which 
ends up with Hawk getting shot in the back by Cobra Commander and then um, Cobra Commander himself getting shot by Baroness, heel turn and uh, and slumping <laughs> slumping uh, onto his face. Um, not not in a you know, no handcuffs that we were promised uh, on the cover, but um, yeah, not in a good not in a good way for either of the two leaders. What what did you think of uh, this this big action set piece? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, the art isn't great, you know, like we talked about. It's it's good enough. It's hurt again by the colors. I just think the colors are overdone, um, and it may not be as bad in the actual issues. I've got, like I said, I've got the paperback of this, and I'm also looking at digital issues. And these digital issues are really dark, just for this issue in particular. I don't know why, but it's all it's it's lighter in the the paperback, but um, still, there's just so much visually that that confuses you know the eye when mm. you're when you're looking at it and not to mention there's a lot of word balloons on every page but uh yeah i mean i thought the action was pretty good it i had to really look at the the page where um where hawk gets shot because you know i read it and then i reread it and was doing the plot breakdown and i'm going through and i'm like uh cobra commander pulls the gun on hawk i said but then because i i didn't just apparently forgot that i just read it and hawk got shot and then uh you have the next page with eight panels on it baroness is there and it's just kind of unclear i was like pow and i'm like who who shot you know who shot cobra commander i'm like oh okay but yeah i don't know it works i liked it uh just it would have been a little better if the art was better and it would have been a lot better if the coloring was less Mm. i i did struggle with both who shot hawk and also who shot baroness the who shot hawk should be more obvious like because yeah. Cobra Commander is is stood over Hawk with a gun. He says goodbye, Hawk. Then there is a blam. Um, but but the sort of the just the that shot, shot with too. the blam. It's like a parallel line of like a bullet cutting through a blam, which makes it look makes you think it is like a like a horizontal sniper sniper fire or something taking Hawk out perhaps from a distance. So could Baroness so actually have of, shot them both? I, d- I don't think she was supposed to have. I think I think it is that literally it is literally you know Cobra Commander has sh- has shot has shot him. It's just. Is that what um, you think, Tim? Um, yeah, I think I think Cobra Commander shoots Hawk, and Baroness shoots Cobra Commander. I think, but I'm not sure if Jurawa is trying to introduce ambiguity, so that right we can have tension waiting mm. for the next issue and then there can be some mystery or reveal or if um Seely sort of stumbled yeah, with this uh second to last page um i also think the pacing uh so the the, the two panels above the giant word blam i think this works in a movie where you can have footage in slow motion and you can drop out the sound you know, like, mm-hmm. like, goodbye, Hawk. And then like, you know, and Mayday's like, and Baroness is like, like squinting. And then, blam, right? And then like slow motion. But in a comic, this does not work. Like the blam needs to be the top of the page. And the two panels with Mayday, with her mouth open and Baroness looking resolute need to come down 
or Mayday needs to be saying something like, no, look out. And like, hawk, you know, just screaming. Yeah. Anything. And for me, that that blam panel would work better if the if the, the the line was not the horizontal line through, but maybe a diagonal left down to right with the hawk body positioned, maybe further over. Or to even the, just to not right. have that silhouette of hawk in there. Yeah, I I would just take I would just have the I would just not the, divide the word blam at all. Just take that white line. Like, don't have it diagonal. Don't don't have it straight left just to right. Blam. Also, um. In the second to last panel of this page with the giant blam, where Cobra Commander is getting hit for the first time, he's not holding a gun. Yeah. So Confusing. is that is that meant to be ambiguous? Maybe he didn't do it after all. Like, I guess he dropped it a moment ago before he would have been able to fire it if we thought he was the one who fired it. Or did Tim Seeley forget to draw a gun in his hand? I think that's probably the case. And and also on on that point as well, not as he's missing a missing a gun in his hand, but but also it's like fireworks are going off on his chest in those two, um, in those two shots. They're just massive explosions, you know, as the bullets impact. Kapow, kapow! It doesn't doesn't quite read as a kind of long distance sniper fire from uh, the Baroness. Yeah, they're drawn very big, and then they're also coloured not as like a solid yellow. Like if you smacked someone, you'd have a little like glint effect, but they're drawn with this like, like exploding sun textured orange. Like it it looks the exact same um, on the previous page where Mayday is uh, getting shot at from the Cobra helicopter and there are all these machine gun shots behind her. And like, no, that's a much bigger gun on the on the bottom of that uh, helicopter. I don't think that would like that wouldn't those aren't explosive shots. They shouldn't have like yeah. That's orange. what I was going to say. Like maybe if they were the only way they would look like that if, is if they were all like incendiary or, or explosive shells mm. or something. Yeah, it should but just that's be like generally brown. not the case. It should be like brown and dusty. Yeah, that's that getting, should be dust. And but but at least like that's really big. Whereas whatever gun hits Cobra Commander is uh, is is not that big. So this and, is one of those cases of the colorist getting. Like too excited. No, no, no. Not, not every. It's like, you know, it's like a match and an explosion and like a light bulb. These things are all colored differently, both both in terms of intensity and also like texture and effect. And and similarly, sort of about that missing gun and the clarity of the storytelling that the results sim, similar to that. So Cobra Commander has been shot by Baroness, um, but there isn't too too many, you know, too many signifiers that let us know that because the next panel after cobra command has been shot it's baroness sort of you know making her escape on the back of a tank and which is driving into a transport helicopter um and the baroness figure is quite small and she's holding a gun but that's against a a, a similarly colored background as as well so it's it's not like it's that close-up of her holding the sniper rifle with a uh, sort of smoking barrel so it's you know ultra clear that okay she's the one that that just fired and then she's also chased by mayday as well who's looking almost identical to to the baroness um, in that first (laughs) panel if she'd had that little disc that she stands on that that figure comes with and and she was just like up into the air and in the second panel she was getting pulled up into the helicopter they missed out on another toy opportunity there what's tell us about this disc what is it 
the you know the thing that she came down on in Rise of Cobra, and, and there was uh, like two or three of the Baroness figures have it have came with it, even though there like is nothing to attach it to. It's just wait, like this a, is a levitating disc. No, no, it's a it's a thing that has like a grappling hook in it, and they lower oh, it from okay. a helicopter. Right, the figures, so. it's it's like there's a couple of Baroness figures that have came with it. She stands okay. on it, and they lower her down from a helicopter or plane. Um, or, I want I want to go back to ish uh, to page eight. Um, so the first panel of page eight, the Joes are on the train and they're coming out from within the train to the like upper deck. So they're sort of outside and Dart, who is drawn uh, about the size of my pinky fingernail, um, is helping Hawk up onto the platform from the ladder. And Hawk says, thanks, Dart. You sure you're ready for this? And he says, it's my job to be ready, sir. I may, be, I may have been down, but I'm never out. And I thought, oh, I'm glad that Dart is here because the previous issue had a whole word balloon about how he's not doing well. Uh, so it's great that he's recovered. But wait, he seemed to be in terrible shape in the previous issue. Is this like too, is, is it too fast for him to go back on a mission? But also, Considering that this character wasn't in the previous issue and didn't get shown, but did get talked about, and this is this character's reintroduction, um, he needs to be bigger. Like, I kind of need a panel with, like, Dart's hand grabbing Hawk's hand with a close-up of his hatch with the ladder, or, like, over the shoulder from behind Dart, and we're looking down at Hawk. And I can very clearly see both of them kind of big in one panel. And, um, you know, I'm glad Dart gets worked back into the story. And not every Joe needs to be, like, drawn sort of big in a panel when we see them. But if a character is being introduced or reintroduced, uh, I feel like there is that demand. Yeah, maybe. Not not even shown again, I don't think, after that. I'm just looking through there. I don't see him anywhere after that. No, he's, he's holding... He's holding Mayday on the Blam page. Oh, is that him? Okay. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and then he's on the he's on the previous page. He we see him from behind Pointing. with an Uzi. He says, "Cobra Chopper incoming! Get those wounded undercover." Yeah, but in neither of those panels do you get a good look at his costume. You never get a good look at his costume or yeah. you know uniform, I guess. So, mm. uh, you guys, what about this uh, husband thing? Yeah. So. Uh... It's something like it's sort of mentioned by Baroness in in one of her lines of dialogue. She says, "My husband well, Destro." On the yeah, last on the last page, my husband and I uh-huh. have been apart too long. Something like that. There it is. Yes, my husband and I have been apart too long. As she makes her escape. All right. So, so there, there that's three... that's new. That's new. That's new news, right? That, that I've not. Yes, we've not uh, seen anything about this before. This is uh, a a wedding that has happened that has uh, up to this point not been referenced. Yeah. So there, there are three things happening here. One, uh, Baroness is um, turning out to be more evil and smarter than Cobra commander. So that's a, that's a turn. That's a surprise Two, uh, is, is she taking over Cobra with Destro? Is that, is that what this final seems like? So, Right, because someone says, orders Baroness, right? Coordinate our return to Cobra Island. So that's a big, exciting surprise, right? It's like we've had, you know, Cobra Commander was in charge and Serpenter came back and there was the coil. And then 
uh, Destro left and Destro was about to turn over Cobra Commander and okay. And then number three, secret wedding. Okay, so in storyline, at what point does Baroness become aware and accomplice to Destro's plan? Presumably all along, right? Full and Cobra Commander all along when she's when yeah. you know when he leaves without her and, and stuff and she carries on about that. That was yeah, all Dest- a ruse. Yeah, so when Destro abruptly left and didn't say anything about the Baroness and Cobra Commander is like, okay, go ahead, leave. And then in our episode, I said, uh, this is out of character for Destro. He should have consulted the Baroness. And then Mark said, well, Tim, I've read ahead and I don't want to say anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So that was this, Mark? That was this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do we, do we take it a step further? Did... Destro and Baroness set all this up together. Destro getting captured and Baroness letting Cobra Commander think she didn't care about Destro anymore so that she could let Cobra Commander get captured or something. Something. Yeah. I, I think something along those, those lines, it's um, been a, like a, a long play between the Baroness and, and Destro to do over Cobra Commander and, and wrestle control of Cobra. Well, um, I to to go back to my grumpiness about the previous issue and sort of these two issues together. I think this kind of uh, is this technically a double cross? This this con, this reveal where Destro, uh, where Baroness betrays Clara Commander. Dramatic, exciting. Like as as a Joe fan, as a comics person, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, whoa, and. <laughs> Like, uh, oh, they, they really did capture Cobra Commander. I mean, you know, the, no, the next issue, it could be like, well, Cobra Commander got away. Uh, <laughs> but, or, you know, the next issue could be like Storm, Storm Shadow sure is coming to get Cobra Commander. And Gung Ho is like, oh, man. But um, <laughs> that is that is less that's, that's minimized for me because I, I don't I don't like that Hawk gets killed. When a bunch of Joes died in Trusil Abysmia in the Marvel run. It was shocking, dramatic, but it made me sad and a little angry. And when Joes had died previously, like when Mangler dies in Special Missions 13, I thought it was really moving, but like on page one, I thought, oh, this guy's not making it through this issue. This guy's clearly been introduced to get offed by page 21. And you know, same thing with Cool Breeze a few issues later in Trusil Abysmia. That still made him a great character, but it's like, oh, this guy, this, this is not a toy. This guy's not going to make it through the issue. Uh, but hey, Hasbro, if you're listening, doesn't mean you can't make a Cool Breeze toy. <laughs> um, so you know, we come to the Devil's Due run. Uh, so I think the occasional death is really dramatic, but, you know, both a friend of mine and uh, the guy who writes most of the G.I. Joe comics ever have said, uh, I don't like killing characters or I don't think you should kill characters. And it it is dramatic, but it, it either sort of has to be undone in like superhero comics and then you sort of roll your eyes or you can write yourself into a corner and like you may not be the only steward of these characters and someone else may write this G.I. Joe comic after uh, Brandon Jurwa. And if they have the best talk story in mind ever, they like can't use this character and, you know, we now live in an era where there's there have been so many resets and new continuities for G.I. Joe that it's like, well, we'll just start a new one where we do have Hawk. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
since since there's so many things about these two issues that sort of rub me the wrong way, by the time I do get to a really hefty like Joe and Cobra Commander fight. And it's like, well, this is the way you'd want it to happen, right? It's like mano a mano in front of the other troops at the climax of sort of a larger battle. Mark, help me out. Do you remember a real American hero 200? Is there right. a is there a Duke Cobra Commander fight in that in that issue? I know that's the cover. Yeah, I think I think that cover is played out on the interior that there's a Duke and Cobra Commander fight and similar I, to what, I, what we see on the cover. And now that that happens many years after this Devils Do comic, so it's not a fair comparison. And also, that's a double sized issue, so it's not a fair comparison. But um, there's also I'm a man- Duke and uh, a, a Hawk and a famous Hawk and Cobra Commander fight. Oh, and sixteen, in, yeah, around about that, yeah, in the teens, isn't it? Um, yeah, Mike Vosberg. So, you know, of the three Hawk or Duke and Cobra Commander sort of matchups uh this this one gets the bronze medal for me um <laughs> it's you know there's a lot going on the joes are there the baroness is there they're witnesses uh there i think some of this ambiguity is on purpose and i think that's interesting so it reminds me it looks ahead to um ed brubaker and steve epting's captain america 25 right after a civil war where captain america's on the steps of like the capital uh in dc and he gets killed and everyone panics but it's like wait who shot him and like that's the next story right Mm -hmm. um it's like everyone was so excited to buy that issue or to be upset about that issue that i feel like when the issue came out and people are talking about the comic everyone forgot to say wait who shot captain america um uh, just i'm just throwing in a steve epting reference there because i know jay will like it um (laughs) but like uh hawk isn't really dressed for a fight is he yeah and and then like the final three panels it's like it's like no, I I want I want Lifeline or I guess Doc is gone. I want Lifeline or Stretcher to be the one to run up to Hawk and say, "Let me work. He's not breathing. Oh God, he's not." Because that I guess that's Stalker. You know. Meanwhile, like in those final three panels, I feel like someone absolutely would have run up to Cobra Commander to secure the most dangerous terrorist in history. It's like, mm-hmm. sure, he just got shot twice, but it's like. Now, remember when he said that like his helmet would blow up if you tried to take it off like 100, 140 issues ago? Like, okay, he's lying down and there's a pistol one foot away from his... Oh, there's the pistol, by the way. Like, it, it's there after all in the final uh, three panels. Like, wh- whoever... I don't know if it's Tripwire or a green shirt in those final three panels who's running from the top. It's like, kick that gun out of the way and handcuff Cobra Commander. Yep. Should we move on to some my- I Spies? I spy with my little eye. Okay, so um, <laughs> here's a deep cut. I spied the muscly wrist that I talked about in the last episode. <laughs> mm. So it's on page one, two, three, four of uh, issue 32, uh, the uh, sequence before where Flint is getting very angry with, with Duke and he's sort of tensing his wrist and shaking it a little bit. And, uh, and yeah, very muscly wrist, uh, putting me in mind of... Uh, Frank Gomez uh, that I mentioned before. <laughs> That's just a call back to, to my last comment. Um, I spy on the cover to 31B, Talent Caldwell's cover, uh, Major Blood is smoking a cigar. And this is 2004. And mm. I believe by 2004, Marvel had stopped sh- depicting all smoking 
in its comics. I think this was a Joe Casada rule from yeah. a year or two yeah. earlier. Uh, so, you know, uh, James Jonah Jameson, uh, Caucasian Nick Fury, Wolverine. And isn't isn't there like a famous scene where like Wolverine like sort of smokes his last stogie? He like coughs and he's like, ah, I never liked those anyway. And from then on, maybe in some uh, Marvel Max comics later on, like a Garth Ennis Punisher or something. But uh, so just as a comparison. I've got some new toys. New toys! Uh, so new toys covered in these two issues include sand razors, uh, which I think made made a brief appearance in Badakstan previously, but I think they might, might possibly be a different colour. So uh, they're sort of unveiled by uh, Claymore underneath a black sheet. Uh, we had Overkill version 3. We have Sand Viper version 3, which was from 2004 Venom versus Valor line. Now, I think they were originally released as a sort of a more sort of browny, mustardy kind of color, but they've uh, they're using the kind of the the darker crimson version, crimson and black version here, which are quite a cool figure actually. Uh, one of Thomas's uh, favorites. Um We've got a Venom Striker ATV, which is like a, a sort of a four-wheel drive quad bike uh, thing uh, with a kind of a gun emplacement on the back of it. Uh, then we also have an APC Transport from 2004, which is the uh, a replaint of the Monster Blaster APC. So that was a, a similar to what happened with the Shark uh, a couple of issues ago where, uh, you know, it was the, we saw sharks on Cobra side and, uh, and realized that they were actually not a shark, but indeed uh, a wave crusher, which was the Cobra version of the shark. Uh, and similar to that, when the trouble bubbles are released from uh, that thing that is on the track, um, I thought to myself, that looks an awful lot like that monster blaster APC thing. Uh, okay, there's probably a, a probably a subsequent re-released version that was on the Cobra side. Yes, there was the APC Transport 2004. Uh, quite a cool looking vehicle, not one I ever had, but um, uh, looks looks cool. And the last new vehicle is the Cobra Ringneck from 2003. And I was looking at this, and it didn't ring a bell at all. And I, well, I was thinking to myself initially, this is just a made-up vehicle for the for the comic, right? Uh, but then I yeah, had a look and sure enough, there it was. There's this, you know, big tank thing called the Cobra Ringnet. Um, yeah, it, it's quite it, cool. It, but it, was just... it looks it looks sort of like the uh, the Rage and the APC had a baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I guess I didn't think that it was anything in particular. I just thought it was something that Sealy drew. It, it didn't stand out enough and they didn't. You know, that's kind of what, you know, like we said with Dart, they never really gave him a good, uh, you didn't get to see a good look at his costume or his uniform at all. Um, and that's the way with a lot of these vehicles. Remember when uh, when they showed the, the split fire? It was like you saw it for a second and that was kind of highlighted. But uh, I don't know, they didn't they didn't show like any features or anything. Remember when the Wolverine first appeared and they were like, damn, that thing's got 12 missiles. And then, like, they use 12 missiles, um, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even when barrel roll. Like, I know, um, it, I, I definitely agree uh, that you guys thought it was cool that they, they used the spy troops feature 
uh, with that character, and it really was. But but then you know, on the other hand, you have the consequence of that is other vehicles don't get any kind of recognition or or at all. Like like that one. Like I didn't even think it, I didn't think think it was anything. I was just like oh yeah, there's literally. Kind of there's yeah, like one panel that shows a pretty good shot of it, where Cobra Commander's in the sort of the turret in his big red cloak, sort of flapping out of the back of it, then out of the top of it, and then there's there's just a couple of other smaller shots where it's sort of driving away, and you don't really get to see it much at all. But um, yeah, one a vehicle that wasn't on my radar at all. I have a question uh, for you guys. Do you think that Hawk is dead? I mean, you both sound oh. pretty sure that you think he's dead. I have not read it all ahead, so I don't know. But it seems like I don't know when I when I was reading this and I got to that page, I felt like uh, there was another issue, and I and I had to look and I was like, did I did I get the wrong issues? Did, did I just read part four? Uh, to me, that was a huge cliffhanger because maybe that's just because I don't want to believe that Hawk's dead. Yeah, I I've read ahead, so I, I I kind of can't sort of talk from a perspective of of not knowing whether he is or not. Um, I I have not read ahead, but one of the one of the few things that I know from like looking at covers over the years and occasionally flipping through like a back issue box at my friend's house who had the Devil's Due issues, I I do know how this turns out. I I so I can't quite put. Um, myself into how i would have felt reading this in 2004 but i will say if he's not dead they're going to a lot of trouble to make you think that he really is because there's this dramatic it's quote camera pulling out from the scene Mm -hmm. the joes are upset uh he's not breathing too late just too late like if he's not actually dead i feel like the next issue you know he's like sitting in a hospital bed. He's got a bandage on his chest and the Joes are like, oh man, we sure metaphorically dodged that bullet. And they could easily do that, but I feel like it's going to some lengths to make it a big deal here. Cobra Commander, point blank, uh, second, the, the the bottom half of the final page that if he's not dead in the next issue, I feel like we might be, we might feel uh, sort of dramatically cheated. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that definitely changes my overall feeling of the story if i think that he's dead because i was kind of like i said i was i you know ended on maybe a bleak hope that like you said the next issue hawk will wake up in a hospital or it'll be oh hawk's in a coma (laughs) but uh i don't like the idea of if it's somebody else like uh ice cream soldier i mentioned him earlier but uh, not Uh, hawk i i've you know, the the balance is if you are a writer, you know, if you do something like this, you you ramp up the stakes. You show everyone that you're serious. You show the readers that you know, maybe no character is safe. And, you know, if Hasbro gives you permission to do that, you might want to run with it because you feel like you can get some mileage out of putting the the heroes through such a painful ordeal and, and the readers. Um, I have an eye spy. In issue 31, on page 7, we see Law, but in his Sonic Fighters colors. And I appreciate that little decision, because I don't need to see Law with a oversized backpack and four machine guns 
in order for him to, quote, earn his alternate colors in an issue or a scene. I sort of feel like, you know, Law's locker or his room, his quarters at Joe headquarters has, you know, the two helmets that are the same, but then like the two shirts that are different color and the two vests that are different color and, you know, the two pants that are a different color. And, sure. and Chuckles only has the one Hawaiian shirt, but Tunnel, Tunnel Rat, well, Tunnel Rat has has three different outfits and there are different colors for his, you know, different um, uh, variations. Uh, I also want to point out, since I have been giving Mr. Seeley's art uh, such a hard time with these straight angles, like a lot of one point perspective and not enough two point perspective and almost no three point perspective, that page seven of issue 31, where we see Law in his Sonic Fighters colors with Destro behind him, is drawn in three point perspective. And I feel like it's earned and helpful and and a good drawing. And then um, I have a big eye spy that I'm very excited about, but I just want to check off uh, two or three quick ones. Um, Zartan has a taxidermied crocodile. (laughs) I noticed that. And in the letters page of issue 32, there is a letter from a... Taxidermist? From a medic (laughs) currently... Uh, no, no jokes. Uh, from oh, a medic, <laughs> from a medic currently deployed in Iraq, and he spends two paragraphs saying that he likes the character of Lifeline and that he doesn't like how Lifeline in the Devils Do comics uh, uses a weapon, and he feels like they should they should be writing him more as a pacifist. And he, this real medic in Iraq, doesn't carry a weapon. Wow. And the answer is. Um, you know, we, we've blended elements from the different takes and, you know, and the toy has a gun and the cartoon, he doesn't use a gun. But, you know, uh, thanks. Thanks for writing and keep reading. I thought that was a fascinating letter. I find most of the letters in a lot of comic books not fascinating because it's some it's like a little kid saying they like things or someone not having a problem with the comic when I have a lot of problems with the comic. And uh, and then there's another letter from. Um, the, someone writing about Jejo Reloaded number three, and uh, there's 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 also a letter in in uh, the issue thirty one letters page about Master and Apprentice, and I thought it's interesting that I noticed that one. It makes sense that the side miniseries doesn't get a letters page because those often don't, and you just shove that letter sideways into the main book, and it's maybe a way to remind the people reading the regular book, oh, by the way, yes, there's a full-page ad for Master and Apprentice issue four on the next page, but go read Master and Apprentice. But I do feel like, wait, Reloaded? No, that should have its own letters page. Don't mm. don't take up valuable regular Devil's do space with a letter from that other G.I. Joe comic. If the people want, want to read about G.I. Joe Reloaded, they can do that in a G.I. Joe Reloaded letters page. But um, the I Spy that I am most pleased to have found, because uh, I, I feel like this is the kind of toy uh, thing that uh, that someone who's more familiar with the toys would get. Uh, and I would just be like, Dr. Mindbender's hand is colored purple or something. <laughs> Um, issue 32. What is he wearing on the last page? Well, exactly. Yes. I, I thought I it was going like to be I'm... a toy and I was going to be like, that was the one I just got. And I'm like, oh no, it's just a Viper outfit. Uh, issue 32, page seven, panel one, the train. That is the unproduced GI Joe, mm. uh, train prototype 
which mm-hmm. fans know about because there's a photo of it in the uh, 30th Salute trading card set from 1994. That's the train where, uh, you know, R&D was like pitching a new G.I. Joe train. This one was not going to be, was this going to be electric? But it was going to, it was going to be partially play school pieces. And in the photo from this trading card set, it has uh, both the little six wheeled buggy from the Rolling Thunder and also the giant cannon from the Thunderclap. So either it was going to reuse some Joe pieces as well, or for like the prototype mock-up, they're still figuring out. Uh, but Tim Seeley has drawn um, very particularly the the engine, the second car, and maybe not quite the third and fourth car, but, <laughs> but close enough. Uh, super fun. Hey, you got those first two. Uh, super fun, Tim Seeley. Good job. Uh, even even the light the um, on the next page that that panel that I didn't like where a very very tiny dart oh yeah is helping Hawk out of the ladder hatch. There's the big spotlight and that that is part of this toy prototype. Hmm. Cool. So if yeah if you if you search GI Joe train proto- prototype you'll get uh, all sorts of mm-hmm. images coming up. The, this the is this is not the Tycho train that actually was put into production. Yeah. And then my other it's not quite an I spy is. Um, the page after the letters page of issue 32 is the devil's due news page. And a third of the page is a eight paragraph, seven paragraph sort of joke about Cobra having a convention and uh, it's Cobra national convention recap. Every four years, some of our nation votes to choose our next president. And every four years, Cobra does its best to spoil that election. So there are these, (laughs) <laughs> sort of jokey bullet points uh like no child left behind gets mentioned Geraldo Rivera NASCAR uh Ralph Nader and I th- I think this works a lot better if you're reading this in July of 2004 uh reading it reading it this morning I or at least I, have been around in July of 2004 I mean somebody that picks it up that's you know 10 or 12 yeah. is not going to mean anything to them but this is this is not to you know anyone putting editorial pages together for GI Joe comics. This is not to dissuade you from making topical current events dated references that may not be hilarious to me fifteen years later. Please, please, in your bullpen's bulletin page for Marvel or your like Johnny DC page uh, or your you know, whatever it is DC Direct Currents page. Um, Please, 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 you know, make some jokes about the Batcave and like the election or uh, Avengers Mansion and I don't know, like the, the the blizzard of 2022. Because they'll be fun later. That's what I'm saying. When I reread these <laughs> comics later. Uh, cool. Um, so that's I Spy Error Detectives. Did was it? Uh, there was a few things that we didn't like and maybe thought could be done slightly differently, but. Any errors? Error detected. Error detected. No prize incoming. Is the um, is the ring neck? Is it actually colored the right sort of gray and blue, or is it just? Oh no, it is. Okay, yeah, it's uh, close I don't... enough. At this point, uh, coloring mistakes are just. Uh... 
<laughs> uh, you know what? Sorry, there was a, a, the, just the coloring. Yeah, the barrel roll escape scene. The whole time I'm reading that, I'm I'm just like every panel I'm looking at it, going, "That's not his color. Like he's not colored like that." Just ugh. Sorry, I didn't mean to get us off on a, on a, negative, <laughs> on a negative footing. Because what I meant to say was, no, I I did not have any errors. I really didn't. No, no me neither. I think this is this might be our first one. On on the Devil's Due series, is it? Could it be? Well, uh, well, there, I mean, there's that. There's the gun. I guess Cobra Commander has already dropped the gun. He could have yeah. already dropped we, it because yeah. we because we do see it on the next page. Missing uh, gun. So we could we could say that's not technically an error, but uh, I did talk about it for several minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, have we got a favorite line of dialogue? Quote of the week. Quote of the week. Quote of the week. Quote of the week. I thought that you know the the a lot of the dialogue the there were sort of quotable quotable lines. I think um, Brandon Joa does have a good ear for dialogue. There was a few that I thought about sort of picking. Um, the ones that that just sort of stuck out to today was um, uh, the exchange between Hawk and Cobra Commander. Hawk goes. I want you to remember this, Commander. Oof. Yes, Hawk, I will remember. Every time I visit your grave. <laughs> uh, the laughter added by me. Uh, did does anything stick out for you guys? Yeah, I have a I have a I have a best line. Page seven of issue thirty-one. Lady J is talking about the conditions of Destro's trial. And she says, oh, and by the way, he can wear the mask anywhere he wants. Apparently, it's an, histor- an official historical artifact as recognized by the nation of Scotland. And then over the radio or the screen, uh, just let him keep his national treasure on then. They'll love it in prison. Uh, I thought that was a very clever explanation for why this character who you would not actually wear their mask in this situation. But we as fans want to see the mask and maybe Hasbro as the licensor wants this character to have their signature mask. I thought that was a fun and smart explanation. Mm. Well, in reality, you know, if he's on American soil, they can say, screw Scotchland, we're in America. Well, also, also they'd say, well, remember 150 issues ago when the other guy at the top of Cobra his helmet was going to blow up if we took it off. Maybe we should make this guy take his helmet off. Maybe there's a weapon in there. Yeah, um, there is. There are all sorts of things in his helmet, aren't there? That's been established. Uh, Jay, uh, did did you... Oh, sorry. No, God. I was just going to say, Jay, did you have a favorite line? Uh, I don't think I had any had any favorite lines. I did kind of have to wonder about the uh, they'll love it in prison line. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, I'm not going to go near that one, but I'm, I feel kind of like Scarlet when she says uh, her and Snake Eyes can't go near it without stepping in it. I'm like, yeah, I, I know that feeling. Uh, <laughs> I have a question, something that we, we didn't go over, which I uh, I wanted to bring up. Uh, the page before the, the train, which is page uh, six. So Zartan and Mindbender are having this showdown in Zartan's compound headquarters and mm-hmm. Mindbender is just sort of blackmailed Zartan with this video footage of uh, Zartan holding Xandar. And you turn the page 
And Zartan says, unfortunately, you've just opened your mouth to the wrong person. And someone in silhouette puts a knife to Mindbender's neck. And then Zartan says, now let's talk about what you are going to do for me. And I wanted to know who you thought this was. Is the obvious guess that it's actually Xandar? That's who or, I think it is. Or is this a case where <clears throat> it's like, it's actually not a big deal who it is. It's sort of any random dreadnought who's nearby. Zartan's in control and it's actually not supposed to be a reveal or someone important. It's just that, no, 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 you, 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 don't, you don't walk into the Viper's den without expecting to get bit, and Zartan won't be blackmailed in his headquarters. That's kind of the way I, I played it in the plot breakdown, was Mindbender goes in there to try to blackmail Zartan, but Zartan's not a person that you're going to blackmail. But you think the silhouette is Xandar? I think so. And if not Xandar specifically, you think it is someone important and not just like a random... I couldn't imagine who it would be if it would be anyone important. Mark, have you read a... I've not read ahead, uh, so I don't know for for sure. But I wonder. I think I think there's something going on with Xandar here, and if it's not him holding the the knife, I think that it might be that Zartan is actually Xandar, because he's wearing this. Um, he's he's taken to wearing this ah, sort of gas mask thing over be. his face, and possibly that is um to to hide his face rather than to for a genuine need. Ah, that's a good twist. I guess looking back through this, I do have a favorite line of dialogue. It's uh, issue 31, page 10, when the dreadnoughts are eavesdropping on Cobra Commander mm. and Zartan. And Baroness and Scalpel walk up, and uh, one of the dreadnoughts, I think that's Buzzer, says, Baroness, I'm shocked and appalled that you would infer such rascal as... And, uh, and Scalpel says, save the story, just tell us what you've heard. Yeah, that was that was the one that I almost picked out. It's like there's so much character between the two, between those two characters that uh, I did think that was funny. And for me, giving Seely's art a hard time, that panel where all three dreadnoughts are leaning into the door and eavesdropping, that's that's a that's great body language, great poses on them. Yeah, fun. Cool. So uh, I think that's almost us done. We can uh, just wrap it up with a yo Joeage score be intrigued to see what jay has to say because you gave the uh the last couple i think an eight so um see if uh if we're staying on a similar sort of trajectory with uh with these ones with that intro actually let's go into it jay what did you think well i think earlier tim said that uh issue 31 was not his favorite and i feel like it was probably the weakest of the whole of the whole arc but in a way, it's it's almost the, the most vital because it does have a lot of uh, stuff going on. Like I said, that's where we have the, the Zartan possible twist there. Um, I, I don't know. There's a lot that goes on there. And then and the finale is is good. Uh, like I said, I had questions about Hawk. And if Hawk's dead, I don't really like that. But, you know, like you said, the story, the buildup was good. I wasn't a fan of the, the tension between Hawk and Duke. You know, like I said in the plot breakdown, uh, Hawk is mad that another Joe pulled an operation, you know, behind his back. Snake Eyes did the same thing, and and it's like, okay, Joes don't seem to have a very good uh, grasp of command here, and that's never been the case before. So that's kind of a point that I didn't like. I'm gonna start from eight and go back because of that stuff to a seven. Okay, fair enough. It would be an eight, except for just some some 
issues. But I, you know, overall, it's like it, it's like watching a movie that you really enjoyed and you're watching it and you're into it. And then when you get away from it, you kind of think about it. You're like, well, it did have some problems. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was reading it, I was really into it, except for the Hawk and Duke stuff. Like I said, that, that just took me out. And um, yeah, so hence the seven. Fair enough. So my my number is going to have an asterisk next to it, like like those baseball records with, <laughs> stero- yeah. with steroids, because because <laughs> uh, I, I only I only read uh, Devil's Due comics now, having taken performance enhancing drugs. No, no, uh, because um, <laughs> because the, the the unit here is a whole comic book, and and I would like to rank the whole comic book not the first story and uh, i think it's totally reasonable that we're saving this backup story for a future episode but if i was if i was doing this in any other way if i was blogging about this issue these two issues or writing a letter to the letters page at the time i i would also include i would take into account my feelings about the backup story story character color art and so knowing that i'm really only judging three quarters of these two comic books did you read um, that at all? I, I did not read the back. I didn't read I not, it at all either. Because Mark said, because unlike Mark, who reads ahead and knows. Cheater. With that Baroness is married to Destro or something. I don't, I don't read ahead. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll say five. Um, it's not a four because I think a four is like much less of a functioning comic book. But it's, it's a five. It's a lowercase five because, like I said at the beginning, if I had come back to the series after to give it a second chance, I think I would have stopped here because a lot of things aren't, aren't quite connecting. Okay. I'll be somewhere in the middle. I think probably something like six and a half. I did enjoy it. I'm definitely looking forward to where the the story is going to go. I I think Tim Seeley's art a lot of the time does look nice and and I can understand why people do do like his style. I think the figure work, the the faces, the getting the all the details of the costumes, a lot of that, um, you know, is is solid. It's just a bit a bit samey in parts, and and sort of just when he pulls back and you're looking to see the the rest of the detail, sometimes it's it's either a bit too simple or or missing some of the the pieces that that might make it uh, a little bit more interesting visually. One of the things that probably is losing half a mark is just some of the confusion around that pivotal scene at the end of 32 where Cobra Commander and, Sh- um, and Hawk are are both shot and, and just the, the clarity of this, the storytelling there just wasn't quite as strong as, as I would have liked it to have been. I did genuinely have to stop and go back and reread that multiple times to kind of really properly get a, a handle on exactly what, what happened between those panels. Um, and I don't think that that was intentional uh, on the part of the of, of the storytellers, but yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, still not uh, a grateful read. Uh, a lot of good still going for it, and and still uh, very much looking forward to see where the story goes uh, next. And uh, we will find out where it goes next on the next issue of the disavowed uh, episodes of Talking Joe, when we will look at issue thirty three which is titled The Road Less Travelled, along with a look at the Wraith Backups. So part one to three of the Wraith Backups from issues 31, 32 and 33. 
uh, on the regular show. We'll be continuing to cover all of the other issues as they come out. So we've seen uh, issue 289, The Dawn and Helix Spotlight, 290, The October Guard Spotlight, and there's the return of SL Gallant as the story continues in with the drum beat down to uh, issue uh, 300. So uh, and so that's that's all of the things going on. You can find out all about those things at the Talking Joe website, uh, which is talkingjoe.co.uk. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also on Patreon, patreon.com slash talkingjoe, where the likes of our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill, Christopher, and Justin, are all getting early access to episodes, as well as some exclusive content. Uh, like a PDF of our fancy 150th quiz special questions. Tim, where can people find you? My brick and mortar comic book shop is Hub Comics uh, in Somerville, Massachusetts uh, at hubcomics.com. And I am at a realamericanbook.com. And also I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Cool. And Jay, where can people find you? Break Room Sketches on Facebook. Best mm-hmm. place. And this, the, the break room has been a bit busier late of, of late, it yeah, seems. Yeah, I kind of had to readjust my schedule. We went from uh, having two short breaks to one kind of longer break instead of two short breaks. So my, my, my goal is uh, one pretty decent one a week. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm shooting for. And most of the drawing does happen in a in a literal break room. Yeah. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, nearly all of it. Wow. Yeah. And the focus now, I think, uh, like I said, is is uh, this era. I want to kind of look at these these toys and, uh, you know, dice. Take, take the uniforms off the molds and put them on... Uh, non-bulky shoulders and you know kind of you know, put it put them on a more uh more likable figure and and let joe fans look at it and say all right kind of like what the what some of the 25th and the, you know the 50th uh, they made a lot of really cool uh cool updates just by you know putting them on nice figures like i said a lot of those designs were always always really good so i never want to take away from the the, the designers of the costumes <laughs> just the designers of the mold <laughs> yeah that's the best place to find me uh, check that out for uh, new artwork hopefully um, you know a little little shot every day people get to see a progression of a of a small piece if nothing else and, uh, and it's all from the era that we're talking about right now so it's kind of a focus so that's us done but remember nobody beats talking Joe an international podcast with a guy from England, a guy from Somerville, and a guy from the moon. Uh, Lady Tomatoes. <laughs> international. No, the moon's not international. That's interstellar. What am I thinking? <laughs> well, as soon as I said international, then I thought, and now Mark's going to come on and say, and a guy from England. And I'm going to be like, well, yeah, that international kind of covers that. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.